Well, as I said before, you are stuck with me. But the great advice that our pastor always gives is if it's not a good sermon, it better be short. Good news, guys, it's short. We throw, we throw a word around so much so that I believe we truly lost the meaning and the seriousness of it. I've entitled this sermon, What is Love? And as I was titling the sermon, that song came to my head. And as I was writing that down, I started... Thank you for the five other people that laughed. This, this morning, <laughs> that did not go well with the first group. <laughs> they have, what? Anyways, there's a song called What is Love. And, uh, baby, don't hurt me. That was but anyways, that's, that's the title of my sermon. I'm so glad this is live and everybody can see this. But no, uh, but we do. Uh, let, me, let me give an example of, of kind of what I'm talking about, kind of uh, fill you in. I love Popeye's chicken. Just in case you don't know that about me, I love Popeye's chicken. I love the spicy tenders and the Cajun fries and the garlicky, garlicky buttery biscuit on the side. Man, you put, like, don't even get me started on the sauces, right? I mean, like, I love every one of those. And then, like, you put a little Cajun sparkle on there. <laughs> oh, you're saying to yourself, John, you better hurry up. I'm going to Popeye's. What about this one? Uh, if you have any type of conversation with me uh, via text or via uh, uh, just face-to-face, um, I'm almost always going to say, man, I love you, or I love you guys, or uh, something along those lines. And I do. I really do. I, I, I hope that you know that when I say that, I do mean that I love you. And I really, I really would, uh, for those of y'all that know me, I would do anything for y'all. And I, so I do mean that when I say that. I, I want you to, to get, that, get that out as, as best I can. Um, and you see, we have just come accustomed to saying and hearing this word, love, to where we have become numb to what, it, what we're really saying. As Christians, we sometimes get numb to this as well, right? We read scriptures that says God is love. God so loved the world, his love endures forever, that he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God tells us over and over and over and time after time how he loves us. And yet we do nothing with it. We hear it and we see it in his word and it lays dormant on our hearts and never moves us to action, or maybe, maybe it does, but only a temporary action to where we can get a social credit to say we did something. And that's not what God's word calls us to do. So today, for the next several minutes, my prayer is that God's word will pierce our hearts and stir something in us that is not that, that not even COVID can stop. So if we're going, to, we're going to love each other the way that God desires, we need to be very clear on what love actually is. We're going to be in 1 John this morning, and, and John understands that getting this right is extremely important, and that, that is why he teaches us this truth. 
when we embrace God's perfect love in a way that transforms us, that love does a work in us. And as a result, we love other people well. Put a different way, the love we receive from God should foster in us a love for people. He says this so clearly in the verses that we're going to read today. If you have your Bibles, go and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 7 through 21. And when you get there, if you would, please stand, if you're able to, in the honor of reading of God's word. Beloved, let us, let one another, sorry, I'm, I just already messed up. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And when we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in the love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but for perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he has not seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. May God bless the reading and the preaching of God's word. You may be seated. See, I realize when I talk about love, it brings out a wide array of emotions, right? We, while uh, we, can, we can use this word, the same word love, it can mean different many things for uh, each of us. For some, Thinking about love can, can cause us to feel safe. Maybe in your home, you know your spouse and your, or your parents aren't perfect, but they really do love you. Because of that, you have seen authentic love and it brings a sense of security to your heart. For others, when you think about love, it's a fantasy, right? What it could be. There will be a special person who is going to come in your life, win your heart, and you'll both live happily ever after. Still, for some, when you think about love, it's hurtful. Maybe in the past, someone you, uh, who should have loved you hurt you, or maybe someone in your life used love to manipulate you and to take something from you. If we're going to be clear on what God wants us to do in regards to the way that we love one another, we need to make sure that our definition of love is the same as what John used. See, in the following verses, John gives us three characteristics of God's defined love and then a command. He gives us an example of, as, as to how we see these characteristics in the life and Jesus and points us towards how we should respond. The first thing that John teaches us is that love sacrifices. Love sacrifices. 
Let's take a look at verse 9 through 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, John starts out by giving us his best illustration. Nothing illustrates what love is better than what Jesus did by coming to earth and dying on a cross. The Bible teaches us that we have all sinned. Sin is, a, is our act of rebellion against God, his plans, his creation. When, when God created all things, he created it in, in a way of orderly, right? The, the way he designed all things to operate. When, we walk in, when we're walking in sin and are outside of a relationship with God, the Bible says that we are dead in our sin. In other places, it says that we are enemies of God. Now let's pause for a second. This idea that we are sinners and at odds with our creator is not unique to Christianity. Many other worldviews and religions also believe the exact same thing. However, their beliefs are that it is each person's responsibility to restore their relationship with God. What separates Christianity from every other worldview is that what we read in verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. You see, while other worlds you believe that we have to do works to have a right relationship with God, the Bible teaches that God did the work for us, right? That word propitiation, put simply, John is saying that it is Jesus who pays our sin debt and appeases God's wrath. In the gospel of John, and you've all know this, John chapter three, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Not you, by him. Jesus teaches us that unless we believe in him, we stand condemned, but we believe in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, we, we spend eternity with him in heaven. See, the gospel is amazing. The true gospel is an amazing thing. John goes on in verse 11 and shares what our response should be. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John again tells us that the love we receive from God should foster in us a love for other people. If we embrace the love of God personally, we should love others sacrificially in the same way Jesus loved us. So let's look at verse 12 and 13. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Which brings us to our next point, our second point. Love not only sacrifices, but love abides. The second characteristic we see God's authentic love is that he abides in us. This word abide means that he stands with us. John teaches that when we follow God and love others, we're doing what he does. It's really a call for us to be united with God. The first part of verse 12 seems out of place, doesn't it? Like what in the world does God's invisibility have to do with, with this? And this is where it gets good. But when we read the entire verse, the statement makes sense, right? John is saying that others, seeing you loving others is evidence to other people that God is real 
and that God lives in you. You can sit, let me, let me explain it to you this way. You can sit down with someone for 24 hours and you can talk about theology, you can talk about God's attributes, you can lecture and, or systematic theology uh, and, and your listener may still walk away not knowing God. But when that same person sees God's love lived out in your life towards him and others, then it begins to see God. The invisible God becomes visible to him through you. That's what John is saying. You are able to teach others about God because of your love for others. God cannot be seen with our physical eyes since no one has seen God. How are we supposed to get people who don't know God to believe he exists? It's when the world observes Christians loving unconditionally as Jesus loved. That's when they'll be open to the gospel. The only God and Jesus that most people will ever see is the one they see in you. They're not gonna read about him in a book. They're not gonna go to church, but they, they will see him in your life. And so this morning, this question is, are you doing this? If you profess to be a Christian, are you loving? Are you loving well? But John, you don't understand. I am painfully shy. I, I battle with anxiety really bad. And what if, I don't, what if they ask me something about the Bible and I just don't know the right words to say? I mean, like all this other stuff. And we can make excuse after excuse of not being able to share God. And then John comes in and destroys it. He says love. But I'm shy, but love. But I have anxiety. Love. But I don't know much about scripture. Love. Furthermore, God, God, being as awesome as he is, gives us a boost of confidence with verse 13. Listen to this. Verse 13, John makes an important point that we have insurance we are truly saved because God has given us his Holy Spirit to indwell in us. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the means of assurance that we are truly united to Christ. That is what John means when he speaks of the abiding in God or Christ and he in us. If we abide in him, we are going to reflect his character in our lives. Our conduct towards other people will be corresponding with God's character. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we do what Jesus does. John teaches that the way we have the ability to do that, that Jesus does what Jesus does is because of the Holy Spirit's works in us and through us. While he has many roles in the Christian life, many roles, the Spirit guides us and empowers us. And it is so comforting to me to know that God sent this, God, God sent his Spirit to, to live in, in me to guide me because man, my mouth, you know I'm gonna get myself in trouble, right? The Spirit's there with you. As we talk about walking in the truth and having discernment, knowing how the Holy Spirit works is incredibly important for the believer. The more we abide with God, prayer, through prayer, fasting and Bible study, the better we are able to remove distractions from our lives to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. When he resides in us, 
is to empower us. When we fear, the Holy Spirit literally gives us boldness. When we normally would shrink, the Holy Spirit fills us and emboldens us to speak truth. While there's so much more that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, we can be confident in knowing that we are not alone. When we're walking in the light, we can know that God is for us and God is with us. He abides in us. And this is a side note. And this is, I, I, I didn't get in trouble this morning. I may get in trouble right now, but it's live. So here we go. There's a lot of views out there of when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in, your, to, to, to dwell in the life of a believer. The scripture says it happens at the moment of our conversion. Some teach that you can believe in Jesus and then sometime later, your Christian life, you receive the Holy Spirit. This, as Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, an utter impossibility and it is utterly unscriptural. Uh, listen to me, listen to me. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell the believer at the moment of conversion. At the moment we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, the church universal. There is one baptism of the Holy Spirit Listen, listen, there is one baptism of the Holy Spirit, but there are many feelings of the Holy Spirit. This is the clear teaching of the book of Acts as well as the Pauline epistles. One more thing to add is the gift of the Spirit are still alive and well. Every one of them. My mother says this, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. You don't put an expiration date on the gifts of the Spirit. Did you hear me, church family? You don't put an expiration date on the gifts of the Spirit. Felt like I had to clear that up. In verse 14, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. According to John Stott, it is the essence of the gospel. The world means all sinful people estranged from God and under the dominion of the evil one. Regardless of race, regardless of face, regardless of place, Jesus came to save sinners. Whether big sinners or little sinners, rich sinners or poor sinners, open sinners or secret sinners, it matters not. Jesus came to save just plain sinners. See? Spurgeon said, when we preach Christ, we should do so after the uh, apost apostolic manner. Their message, their simplicity, their power, and their fervency. Those first preachers of the gospel never preached cold sermons. Why? Some sermons hang like icicles upon the lips of the speaker, but the apostles preached as if they were all on fire. That's what we should be doing. In verse 15, to confess. You see, confession of Jesus as son of God means confession of the full deity of Christ. This is something that the false teachers were not willing to do, and John knew this. Right belief about Jesus is, and what he has done on the cross is essential to salvation. The phrase God abides in him and he in God is John's way of speaking about someone's genuine salvation. See, God's love is completed in us when we abide in him. God's love is completed in us when we abide in him. As believers, when John calls us to love one another, he is calling us to walk in unity with one another. 
John says in verse 16 that when God abides in us, his love is perfected in us. If we all have been changed by God's love and we are all walking in the same direction, we can have unity that reflects God himself. Are we doing things right now that are creating unity? God desires that we become like him. We are never more like him than when we love others. One of the evidence of spiritual maturity is love. The evidence of genuine Christian life is love. Your spiritual maturity is not measured by your age, how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been a church member, how much Bible knowledge you have, or the level of service in the church. It is measured by your love. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, said Jesus. Verse 16 John says that we have come to know and believe God's love for us. This means that we have come to know by believing. As John Calvin noted, that God is faithful to his promises. All that he has given us through his love is ours now and will always be ours. His past faithfulness and his present faithfulness guarantee his future faithfulness to us. Though the promise is past tense, And the faithfulness is future tense. God is with us moment by moment in the present. Christ saved us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the pollution of sin, and ultimately in heaven from the very presence of sin. All this being true, John says, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. The fact that God is love is demonstrated by what he did on the cross for sinners. The fact that God is love is is demonstrated by what he did on the cross for sinners. The third characteristic that John talks about is that love secures us. Let's look at verse 17 through 18. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Man, I'm so glad I will. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not perfect, uh, not been perfected in love. In light of everything that we talked about this morning, in light of everything that we talked about, I want you to consider this one amazing truth. The gospel shows us that we belong because we've been bought. Not because we behave. In other words, our standing with God didn't change because we were good enough to follow God or even that God found us useful. God chose us, pursued us, and bought us. The act of divine love is called grace, and grace is what transforms us. Right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, 4. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, when we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus as God's Son and Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we are sealed. We are sealed. And that nothing can separate us from God's love. See, we don't have to fear repercussions when we fail. Instead, instead, we can rest in God's grace. Y'all just thought Cody was loud. My goodness, I, I can hear it echo back there. See, when we understand this love that God has for us, it also takes the pressure off 
of us with our relationship with others. See, we don't have anything to prove. Rather, we can rest in knowing that we're enough for God and for each other. We can walk in freedom knowing that we are loved fully by God. And as a result, we can love others genuinely as well. See, we can do this because we understand this truth that love, the love that we receive from God fosters in us a love for other people. Which brings us to a charge, to love all. Love all. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Verse 20 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. What are you lying about? What are you lying about? What you're lying about is the love for God. John's logic is impeccable here. The one who cannot love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God who he has not seen. See, which is easier this morning? If I were to take a poll, which is easier for you this morning? To love God or to love people? Just think about it in your head. What is easier for you, to love God or to love people? If we were to put it to vote, the majority would say that it is easier to love God and harder to love people. The reason is simple. God is perfect and he loves me, right? People are imperfect and don't always love us. On top of that, some of them have really rotten personalities, right? They're just mean. People are mean. So you would think that John would agree with you. <laughs> but he doesn't. For John, it is harder to love God than people. People are visible, but God is not. If you don't love people whom you see, how can you claim to love God whom you've never seen? Furthermore, if you love people, if you don't love people, then you're not loving God because God has declared that one of the ways that you show your love for him is by visibly showing love for others. Not only should we love other believers, but we should love even our enemies as Jesus taught us to do. Edward says to love all men, love wicked men, with a love of pity, weep and pray for them and seek the good of their souls and also the good of their bodies. Be ready at all times to do or to suffer for their welfare, wishing and praying that they may have the same mercy that God has given you. I fail at this every time, I fail at this daily. I'm pretty sure you do too. When you scroll through social media, when you turn on the TV, This is not my notes. I'm probably gonna get in trouble with this too. I'm stepping on my own toes. I can't tell you how many times I can sit there and scroll through social media and I get so bitter. And I just wanna, I wanna hide behind my phone and I want to post so many things of how they're wrong and how they are, this is evil and, and all this other stuff only to be bombarded with other 50 million other people that are just as opinionated as I am. And it does nothing. It does nothing but cause more division. I do that. 
Are we loving? Are we showing mercy? See, I want you to imagine what it would look like if our entire church bought into this idea. We would have a place where you could come and be authentic. You wouldn't have to feel the need to be good enough or to prove anything to anyone. You would be able to be fully known and fully loved. believe, I know, I know, I know that's what God wants for us. He loved us so that we can love one another authentically and as a result be a light to a world around us. See, the great challenging application to these commands is that we must go to those who don't want us there. We must share a gospel they don't want to hear. We must love those who may hate and even kill us in return. We must go and live like Jesus among our friends and our enemies. Martin Luther said this, and I'm going to close with this. God does not love because of our works. He loves because of his love. The only reason you have the capacity to love is because you have been a recipient of God's love and have been born again. His love teaches you and triggers you, and triggers your love for him. You can never love God apart from God loving you first. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at 9 o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.